Hey everyone, this is Johnny Martinez, pastor of Restoration Church, and welcome to our podcast. We hope this podcast inspires you and encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Hey, good morning, Restoration Church. We're glad that you tuned in with us. Uh, We're excited that uh, you're watching in from home. Uh, Pretty soon here, we will be regathering together in person. I just have two quick announcements before we move into the sermon. Again, regathering on Sunday, October 18th. We are so excited to see you all again. We're getting ready uh, for that big day. Uh, So we're going to be regathering Sunday, October 18th at 10 o'clock at Sunset Heights Elementary. And then before that, the week before that, we have a Dream Team service on October uh, 11th at 10 a.m. And again, Dream Team, we cannot wait to see you uh, and regather again. So we're super excited. Uh, Mark your calendar. Bring someone with you. Uh, We're going to be taking all the necessary precautions to keep everyone safe. And man, we just can't wait to worship together, to hear God's word uh, together, and just to be uh, together again. Uh, We're looking forward to that. Also, just want to mention really briefly that we have our small groups going on. They kicked off, uh, and there's still time to to join a small group. Uh, I really believe that we are better together, that it is better to be in community. I think that's one thing that uh, this season of our lives has taught us is that we need each other, that we need other people around us. We were not created to be alone. So join a small group, get into a community. Uh, We just need one another. Um, And so you can join at any point during the semester. Uh, So let's continue on. We've been on this journey. Uh, in this series of um, Mark, in this, in the Gospel of Mark, uh, and today we're going to be looking at Mark uh, chapter two. Mark chapter two. We've made it through uh, chapter one already, and today I uh, titled the message "The Pardoned Paralytic." The Pardoned Paralytic. In chapter one, we saw Jesus' ministry. That's really what we saw. His ministry in the region of Galilee. Uh, he healed people. He uh, casted out demons. He, he did a lot of preaching in this region. And we saw that in chapter one. And up to this point, Jesus has had uh, authority over disease. He's had authority over demons. And today we're going to see another area in which Jesus has authority as well. So uh, in your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 2. We're going to be reading from verse 1 through verse 12. It says this, And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, Your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. 
Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? That you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Let's pray. God, we come before you today, asking you to work in our hearts and work in our minds and work in our lives, work in our souls. God, speak to us clearly through your word. Speak to us powerfully through your word. God, God, help us see those areas in our lives, God, that, that we just need your grace and your mercy. God, shine a light in our soul and our hearts today. God, may your word build us up. May your word encourage us. May your word give us strength today. We thank you for your word. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. I want to begin today by asking two questions. The first question is this. What is our greatest need? What is our greatest need? What is it? What is our greatest need as, as people, as human beings? The second question is this. What is our greatest problem? What is our greatest problem? I really believe that our greatest need is actually our greatest problem. And our greatest problem is tied into our greatest need. I think oftentimes we think that we know what our greatest need is, but really we are only focusing on our circumstances, on our problems and our situations. In reality, the problem, our greatest problems that we're facing today, it's not our spouse or our marriage. It's not our children. It's not our parents. Our greatest problems that we're, we face today, it's not our job, our boss, or our co-workers. It's, it's not a lack of resources or connections. It's not a shortage of time or a, a shortage of income, of financial income. Our greatest problem is the forgiveness of sins. Our greatest need is the forgiveness of our sin. That is our greatest problem and our greatest need. And today what I want to do is really focus in on those two questions. That Focus in on the forgiveness of sin. How does that work? Who forgives and how are we forgiven? And how can that be encouraging in our life through this passage? Again, we want to focus in on Mark chapter 2 here. Uh, and in first, we're going to notice this. The first thing we're going to notice this today in this passage is the crowds. 
is the crowds. Notice this, Mark chapter 1, it says this. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many, a bunch of crowds were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. So the first thing that we see here in this passage is the crowds. We see the crowds. Mark tells us that Jesus returned to Capernaum and that he was at home. And so Jesus just finished his preaching tour in the region of Galilee. Jesus went on tour, uh, him and his crew and his, all of his disciples, they went through all the, uh, the towns and especially in the desolate places in the wilderness and people were coming out to him and he was preaching and healing and, and casting out demons. And so Jesus goes on this tour on this roadshow and he's done with his preaching tour and he's finally at home uh, in Capernaum. Uh, and so like I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, uh, Capernaum was Jesus's base of operations. Uh, and more specifically, it was Peter's, Peter and Andrew's house that Jesus um, called home. And so that, that is where Jesus is right now. And Mark tells us that there was no room. I mean that, that people got wind and people heard that Jesus came back to town and and so people just went to peter's house and they filled his house and 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 the, the entire house is packed there's standing room only the house is jam-packed every single inch of the house is occupied uh, from wall to wall from door to door from window to window i mean every single inch of the house is packed now why why is the house so packed uh, the house is so packed why because People have, have heard that Jesus is performing all of these miracles, uh, that he is healing the sick, that he is uh, healing the blind, that he is casting out demons. And so people are going to Jesus to see miracles. Uh, they want what he has to offer. And again, a lot of the crowds, uh, they don't really want Jesus. They only want what he has to offer. So it's packed. The house is packed. And notice what Mark tells us. Uh, he says that Jesus was preaching the word to them. You see, the, the crowds, they came for a miracle. They came for a show, uh, but Jesus gave them a message. They came for a miracle, but Jesus gave them the message, the message of the gospel, the message of the kingdom to repent of your sins, to place your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of sins, to enter into the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is preaching to this group of people. Jesus is preaching to the crowd. Mark tells us in verse 3 and 4, he says this, And they came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four men, and when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic so first, we see the crowd. Uh, second, we see the crippled. We see this crippled man, this paralytic man. And, and, and so Mark doesn't tell us what caused this man's paralysis. He could have been born that way, or maybe it was an accident, but Mark doesn't really tell us. You see, paralytics back then, they really wouldn't go out in public. One, they really couldn't go out in public. And two, uh, if they had people to carry them out in public, it was it was very rare for paralytics to go out in public. Why? 
because it was believed that that their paralysis, that their condition was a divine punishment from God. And so therefore it brought shame on the person. And so they really wouldn't go out in public. But here we see this paralytic man, this crippled man being carried by four of his friends. Uh, who knows how far they traveled with him? Uh, who knows how long they've been traveling, but they've been carrying this man. And if you've ever carried someone, and even if it is four of four four dudes and carrying this one guy, they still get heavy over time, but they've been carrying this, this paralytic man. Mark tells us that when they approached the house, that they couldn't get in, that they, they couldn't get to Jesus. Why? Because it was packed. Again, standing room only. There was no room for this man. The paralytic's friends were trying to get him to Jesus, but the crowds were in the way. In Mark's gospel, the crowds are never a good thing. They're never a good thing. Crowds always hindered Jesus' preaching. Crowds always hindered Jesus' ministry. And again, we see them here uh, hindering uh, this crippled man uh, from getting to Christ. And so what do his friends do then? Uh, they said, you know what? We, we can't get in here. So we're going to go to the, to the side of the house and we're going to go up the staircase onto the roof. Most of the houses during that time had some kind of external uh, or outside staircase that led to the roof. And so they went up on the roof and Mark tells us that they begin to remove the roof. The paralytic's friends didn't take no for an answer. They were determined to get their friend to Jesus. They were determined. They started digging through the roof. They started breaking apart the roof. What determination, what heart, what love, what faith these four friends had for their paralytic friend to get them, to get him to Jesus. What determination. I mean, there is nothing better in this life, church, than to get someone to Jesus, than to lead someone to Christ. There's nothing better. I really believe that today uh, most Christians would respond differently uh, if they were in the shoes of these four guys. I think a lot of the Christians today would, would be carrying their paralytic friend and they would get to the house and they would say, and they would get there and they'd realize that they couldn't get in. And a lot of us would say, you know what? Hey man, maybe it's not God's will for your life for you to be healed. Hey, hey, maybe it's just not your day today. Hey, maybe it's just not part of your plan. Hey, maybe God just closed this door and maybe he'll open one later. I really believe many of us would respond like that today. But not these guys. But not these friends. They were determined. They were persistent to get their friend to Christ. So they started digging through all of the layers in the roof. The roof was made out of wooden beams. They were cross laid with branches and they were packed with 
thick layers of grass, mud, and clay. And one could easily walk on these roofs, but at the same time, you could still dig through this roof. And so these friends just started making a hole in the roof. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I, I really thought about three things in this story so far. The first thing is this, that the friends had pretty good aim, okay, to, to lower their friend right in front of Jesus. I mean, just think about that for a second. Okay, just think about that for a second. They must have had really good aim. They must have, you know, kind of peeked their head in and said, okay, Jesus is about like, you know, six feet from this wall, you know, 10 feet from that wall. And somehow, some way, they had tremendous accuracy in making a hole and lowering their friend right in front of Jesus. The second thing I was thinking about as I was reading this story was, can you picture Jesus preaching the gospel, preaching about the kingdom of God, preaching the Old Testament, and then dirt just starts falling from the roof onto Jesus, onto the people. I mean, you can start to see a little bit of light, and the hope starts you know, start out, starts off small and then gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And people are just like, what is going on here? And the third thing I was thinking about was this. This was Peter's house. Peter must have been mad that these dudes were on his roof making a hole. Peter must have been upset, man. Peter was not a patient guy. If we know anything about Peter, he was probably like, are you kidding me? I got to call a roofer now. Like, what is the deal? here, but that's what has been happening up until this point. In verse 5, Mark says this, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Notice this, that Jesus saw the faith of the paralyzed man that Jesus saw the faith of his friends, that they've heard that Jesus has healed people. They've heard that Jesus has given sight to the blind. They've heard that Jesus has set free the demon possessed. And they believed with everything that they had that Jesus could heal. And that Jesus saw their faith. Notice that, that faith is something you see. Faith is an action. Faith is visible. For those of you that have faith, you have fruit. I mean, James says that faith without works is dead. It's dead faith. They can't save you. It's a true saving faith is visible. It's an action. And Jesus saw their faith. Then Jesus tells this paralytic, crippled man, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Son, what a intimate word. What a caring word. Son, child, my baby, your sins are forgiven. Notice what Jesus doesn't say first. He doesn't say, get up and walk. He, he doesn't say, get your mat and go. And this must have been shocking to his friends. 
This must have been shocking to the people in the house. You see why? You see, this, this man came to Jesus who was crippled, who, was, who, who needed healing, right? On the outside, he needed physical healing. But Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Now think about their friends. Think about the people in the house. Why is Jesus forgiving his sins? The guy needs to be healed so he can walk. So they must have been shocked. But here's the thing. Jesus saw a faith. Jesus saw faith in this man that was not visible to everyone else. It was not visible. It was not seen by anyone else but Christ. And so he decides to forgive this man's sin because of his faith. But we know that the only way that a person can have their sins forgiven is by repenting of their sin and placing their faith in Christ. In other words, this man's faith was a spiritual faith. Unlike the crowds, this man wanted Christ. He didn't want what Christ had to offer. He wanted Christ himself. He wanted forgiveness more than he wanted healing. And so what Jesus does is Jesus looks past his surface need to meet his deeper need. Jesus looked past his immediate need to meet his real need. He may have had this need from healing, but even more though, he, like all of us, needed to experience the forgiveness of sins made possible by Jesus, by Jesus' work on the cross. And so Jesus saw beyond the physical to the spiritual. Jesus saw beyond the temporal to the eternal. And the paralytic man, he, he didn't do anything to, to earn this forgiveness. He didn't do anything to earn his salvation. I mean, the man couldn't even walk. He couldn't do anything. It was simply by the grace of Christ, this man received forgiveness of his sin. The word forgiven means to send away or to drive away. To send away or to drive away. And in the Old Testament, on the Day of Atonement, uh, the high priest would sacrifice a goat for the sins of the people. And with its blood, he would cleanse the temple. And there was a second goat. And the high priest would take this second goat and he would lay his hands on this goat. And he would confess all of the sins, all of the wickedness, all of the, the rebellion that is the, the people of Israelites, the people of Israel had done. And then what he would do is he would then send the goat away into the wilderness. And the goat would carry on itself all the sins of the people to a remote place. So symbolically, this scapegoat took on the sins of the Israelites and removed them. They were sent away. They were driven away. And for us Christians, this is a foreshadowing of Christ. That he was not a goat, but he was a sacrificial lamb who takes away the sins of the world. 
He was sent away to the wilderness. He was sent away. He was driven away to the cross so that you and I can be forgiven. So we've seen the crowds. Uh, we've seen the, the crippled. And now we're going to see the conflict here in this passage. Verse 6. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Here we see the conflict with the scribes, uh, some of the religious leaders of the day. And they're saying, man, this guy is blaspheming. He's dishonoring the name of God. He's disrespecting God. And so blasphemy was a grave offense punishable by death. And so Jesus' words were blasphemous unless, unless he is in fact God. And so Jesus is either the blasphemer or he is God. He is either a liar or he is Lord. And so these scribes were saying, man, only God can forgive sins. Who is this guy? Who can forgive sins but God alone. And so the religious leaders knew exactly what Jesus was doing. Jesus was making a claim. He was claiming that he was God. He was claiming that he was divine. It wasn't just this, uh, you know, off the cuff type of comment. No, he knew what he was doing. He knew what he was saying. He was saying that he was God. He was claiming deity. And verse 8 and immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. Now, now notice this is very interesting. Jesus begins to perceive in his spirit what these scribes, these religious leaders were thinking. He, he knew exactly what they were thinking, and this is evidence of his deity. This is evidence of his deity. In other words, you know, scholars and theologians, uh, they use this word omniscience. It's, it's Jesus's omniscience, basically that Jesus is all knowing. Jesus knows what you're thinking. Jesus knows what I'm thinking. He knows it all. And this is a display already of his deity, that he is God. Now, how shocking must have that been, right? The, the scribes, the religious leaders are, are, are thinking, you know, they're, they're thinking like, who is this guy? You know, he's blaspheming. He's disrespecting God. And, you know, he can't forgive sins. Who does he think he is? And Jesus says, why, why are you thinking that? I mean, could you imagine their jaws just drop? You know, they're like, I'm not thinking anything. You know, I, don't, I don't know what's going on. That's what happened here. Jesus knows it all. It's a display of his deity. And then Jesus says, hey, what is easier? What is easier to say to someone, hey, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? And on the surface, yes, it is easier to say the words, hey, your sins are forgiven. Why? Because, because you can't disprove it, right? It's so much easier to just tell someone, hey, your sins are forgiven. You just can't disprove that. But it is harder to say, take up your bed and walk. Why? Because if the man doesn't get up and walk, the person speaking it or the person saying it, if the man doesn't get up and walk, the person speaking doesn't have any authority whatsoever. 
However, on a deeper level, it is so much harder to forgive sins. Why? Because only God, only God can forgive sins. So then, Jesus, because he is able to heal the paralytic, he is able to do the visible healing. It is also evidence that Jesus has the power and the authority to do the invisible, to forgive sins, to forgive sins. So we've seen the crowd, we've seen the crippled, We've seen the conflict here. And lastly, we see the confirmation that Jesus is God, that Jesus has the power to forgive sins, that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins and give life. Verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Jesus has authority over disease. Jesus has authority over demons. And now, and most importantly, Jesus has authority over sin. He has the power to forgive sin. And he will forgive sin by the work of the cross. And so he tells this paralytic, this pardoned paralytic, he says, rise, pick up your bed and go home. It was by grace that he was forgiven. It was by faith he was forgiven. And this man was no longer a paralytic, but a pardoned paralytic. In verse 12, it says this, and he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. In the Gospel of Luke, the same account, he gives us a little more detail of how this man responded. It says this in Luke 5.25, And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been laying on and went home glorifying God. I mean, picture that. Jesus says, Hey, rise, get your bed, and go home. I mean, just, just picture that. Packed house. This man has been crippled. The community has known that this man has been crippled. So the man stands up for the very first time in a long time. Picks up his bed. It's not like he needed rehab or anything. When Jesus heals, he heals immediately. He picks up his bed and he begins to make his way out the door. And I could just see the crowd now making room for him. And as he goes out, Mark tells us, or Luke tells us, that he was glorifying God all the way home. This word to glorify means to honor, to praise, and to worship. Did the man glorify God because he was no longer a paralytic? Absolutely. Yes. But much more than that, he glorified God because he was pardoned. Because his sins were forgiven. And so, church person, believer, 
those of you who have placed your faith in Christ, those of you that are saved, do you glorify God? What do you honor God? What do you praise God? Would you worship God? Because he has forgiven you. He has forgiven you. He has paid the price for your sin. You see, your greatest problem has been solved. Your greatest need has been satisfied. And so if you are in Christ, if you have been forgiven, our response then is like this man's, to live a life that is going to glorify God that we glorify God with our actions, that we glorify God with our mind, that we glorify God with our lips. Why? Because we were pardoned. Because our sins were taken away. They were driven away. They were sent away. And really our sins sent Christ like that goat to the wilderness, to the cross. He forgave us. And then so the forgiveness that we have received demands a response. And it's to live a life for the glory of God and for the glory of God alone. Those of you who don't know Christ yet, who never placed your faith in Christ, who would not consider yourselves Christian, and maybe you often think, well, you know what? God can't forgive me. God just can't forgive me. Do you know what I've done? Uh, do you know my past? If you've seen my past, do you really think God could forgive me? Everything I've done, all the people I've hurt, there is no way that God could forgive me. God doesn't want to forgive me. God won't forgive me. I'm unworthy of his forgiveness. You know, today, I just want to tell you this. That God forgives the worst of sinners. That God forgives the worst of sinners. So it doesn't matter what you've done in the past. What matters is today. What matters is that you place your faith in Christ. What matters is that you repent of your sin, place your faith in Christ, receive forgiveness in your life. It doesn't matter what you've done. What matters is where you're going. And eternity rests on today. Today is the day. Receive that forgiveness. Your greatest need and your greatest problem in this life is not the current circumstance that you're going through. It's not your current situation. It's the forgiveness of sins. And when you repent and believe in Christ, He will forgive you. He is waiting with arms wide open, not to condemn you, not to judge you, not to strike you down with lightning to embrace you, to comfort you, to give you peace, to give you joy, to give you hope, to give you 
a future to give you a purpose. Come to him and he will not cast you away. That is his promise. Church, I want to leave you with this. Let's praise God for being pardoned. Let's praise God for being pardoned. But let's also point people to the one who pardons. Let's point people to the one who pardons. Let, let's be like the paralytics friends who were so determined, who wouldn't take no for an answer to lead their friend to Christ. Let's be like those friends to lead people to the one who pardons, to lead people to the one who forgives sin, to lead people to Jesus who has authority and power to forgive all sins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today thanking you for your son, Jesus. Thanking you for his work on the cross. We were pardoned, that we were forgiven by his blood that was shed on the cross. And God, I pray that each and every believer tuning in today would be able to live a life for the glory of God, for your glory, for your honor, that we would praise you and honor you and worship you, not with just our lips, but with our lives as well. Because you deserve all the glory. You deserve all the honor, God. Paying the price for my sins. Forgiving me freedom. Forgiving us freedom. God, I pray if there's anyone today tuning in, or maybe during the week, that doesn't know you yet, has never placed their faith in you, Jesus, and they don't think that you could ever forgive them for what they've done. I pray that you would comfort them. I pray that you would draw them into you by the power of your Spirit. That they would leave their past in the past they would place their faith in you today for the forgiveness of sins. God, help us lead others to the one who pardons sin. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. If you feel led to give, please use the link below as we seek to make a difference in people's lives. Also, please make sure to share this with your family and your friends. Again, thank you so much for listening.